you would follow along with me here, we're going to read the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. The whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in this teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown along the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessings that you do shower upon us. Father, that is a mercy. Your word tells us that your mercies are new every morning, half the time, more than half the time. We don't, we don't see them. We don't notice it. We don't understand it. So, Father, even as we look at this passage, I pray that we would have understanding, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word. You are worthy. You are a gracious God. And so, Father, I just pray that you just bless this time as we look into your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to start with, um, this is a short quote. And um, I will soon be 48 years old. And so, um, mathematically, um, Probably over 50% of my life has been, been lived if you live 70, 80 years. And so it's interesting how you look back. Um, I've always said one of the best things to try to hold on to as a teacher is to remember what it was like to be your age. 
it gets harder all the time. But we try. And uh, as I look back, I remember some things just didn't make sense when I was your age. One of them was, why do we stand in a group of, or sit in a group of people here, fairly close proximity, and listen to one guy talk? Can't there be a better way than that? Because I, as I looked around, people were sleeping, people were messing around, I was messing around, we were passing notes. We just didn't care. And I thought, this is the craziest thing that we, especially on Sunday morning, we'd go and we'd sit and we'd put our time in. It was just like, boy, nothing was seeming to work. And yet, among my peers, like in junior high, high school, we all had professions of faith. Most of us were baptized. And then what really was confusing is then as we got a little bit older, into high school, our capability to sin increased. Rather than just being a rebellious elementary student, then our potential to sin got, got greater. We had our own car. We could go off on our own, away from our parents. And um, the whole time I just thought, wow, we're, we're seeing people who've made this profession to follow a savior, and they were living like hellions. That didn't make any sense. And so many of the adults in the church knew it. And so then they, they desperately tried to do something to change that. And I think our, going clear back, and seniors, you'll understand this, going clear back into the middle 1800s with modernism creeping into the church. There's a lot of philosophies that came out of Germany. We studied that last year. People started to change the message. Maybe we can get these kids to act differently if we just change the message. So I'm just going to read something. And to me, this, this is bullseye. This is where I was living. This is from Jan David Hatinga. It says, the cardinal rule of salesmanship is to concentrate exclusively on the advantages and benefits of the product. The key to this persuasion process is to create a desire for the product while minimizing the cost. In our zeal to fill church membership roles and rescue the parish, and could it be that we have succumbed to the same type of marketing strategy in our presentation of the gospel? But what happens to the message of Jesus if the cost is eliminated? Instead of being forced to deal with the issue of control and leadership, my kingdom versus his, a person is asked to accept, quote-unquote, accept the work of Christ on their behalf. The result is the gospel is sold with the idea that it will help people get what they want without surrendering what they want to the authority of their maker. Repentance without Christ's kingship becomes an awkward idea and usually dropped out of the mix. This version of the gospel simply does not have the essential component of humble surrender to Christ's authority. Since the heart of the sin problem is our self-centered passion to be in control, Unless the back of our resistance is broken through repentance, nothing really changes. Bullseye. <laughs> nothing really changed. We went to church. We repeated some prayers. We said on a few important points. But nothing really changed. And so I thought, what, a, what an anemic God we serve. He really doesn't have any power, does he? And then I started to be taught the gospel. 
And the gospel is a miracle. The response of good soil, a human heart who is prepared by the Lord to receive the gospel, it changed people. Paul Washer has said that a conversion of a person from their selfish desires to following Christ is a greater miracle than creation itself. And I agree. So, where's the power? We're looking at Mark 4 today because it really ultimately is, is a passage that deals with evangelism. It's for those who are sowers and it's telling you this is what you're going to encounter. But at the same time, I think we have to be honest and say, hmm, where am I in this picture? What kind of soil is my heart? The chief goal of the church is to make disciples. Jesus told his disciples to go forth and make disciples of all nations. We're to go forth and make disciples proclaiming the gospel. It's interesting when you look at the very first part of this passage, you can break it down pretty simply. There's a sower, there is seed, and then there's soil. And the thing that doesn't take us very long to figure out is, what is the description of the sower? It's just a sower. This morning, my attempt is to simply be a sower. Your teachers are attempting to sow. They, they just want to sow. They want to cast forth good seed. But you'll notice there's no adjectives in front of the word sower. It's not the wise sower. It's not the clever sower. It's just a sower. Everyone in this room, if you're a believer, we are called to be a sower. And we're to cast good seed. Uh, some of you know Ben Jansen. He likes to garden, right? Okay? And I, I'm, I'm sure Ben knows way more about it. I, I garden, but boy, I'm, I have a lot of weeds. But if Ben prepared his soil, and he, and he uh, then was getting ready to plant the seeds, and I said, Ben, what's the secret? How do you drop that seed? Do you drop it like this? Do you set it there, and then you cover it? What's the se secret? I'm guessing Ben would say... <laughs> It really doesn't matter how you put the seed there, Mr. Sower. What's really important is the soil and that you have the right seed. So we don't really see much about the sower other than is anyone faithful to proclaim the word of God, the biblical gospel, and this is what believers are called to do. The second thing is the seed. And as we see in the explanation, the seed is the word of God. And as Dr. Natinga has said, what we have done in our country is we've tried to modify the seed. Let's make the seed less offensive. Let's make it more acceptable. Let's get, get the seed so that we get a bigger crowd. And that is, a, that is a horrible thing to do because the seed does not need to be modified. Um, it is reported that there was an organization, I don't remember this, that said, if you will give us a million dollars, we'll give you a million converts. Talk about someone who says, we can mass produce it. Uh, Finneyism was very similar to that. Uh, Charles Finney, I'm not here to tell you the condition of his soul. Only God 
knows that, but he was a brilliant man. And he realized, as a lawyer, I can get people to respond. He was a master speaker, persuader, and uh, what we tended to find was many, many people made professions of faith, and very few people were walking with God not very long after. And so the seed was, it was modified. Ultimately, what, we're, what this parable is about, the sower is anyone who preaches the gospel, and the seed is the gospel. But what really is the question is, there's, there's different types of soils. There's three soils where the response is very, very bad. And then there's a fourth <coughs> soil where the response is miraculous. I'm, I'm going to jump ahead just for a second. When you read that, most of us, I don't think we understand when it says there was seed that was on good soil that yielded 30, 60, 100 fold, I'm told that what they could expect during this time around the Sea of Galilee, because everybody understood farming, if you put one seed in the ground, you could expect 7.5 in return. Think about it. Put a, a, a seed of wheat in the ground, you'll get a head of wheat, and they were hoping they'd get about seven back. So for someone to say, you're going to get 100 back after only sowing one seed, everyone realized, well, that, that can't happen. Braden, it'd be like getting um, maybe 1,000 bushels for the acre. Most people would say, well, 200 bushel, that's good. 250 is really good. Boy, maybe some people, you know, in record conditions, maybe get up to 400, but 1,000 bushel to the acre, that would get people's attention. In other words, you couldn't humanly do it. Well, let's look at these different types of soil. The issue is the soil, the condition of the heart. And so when we look at this, really what we're saying is the condition of our heart to receive the seed. There are three, three types. The first one, soil on the path. As the seed is sowed on the path, it would be a path, it's just almost like a sidewalk out here. If you were to go out and sow seed on the sidewalk, concrete, come back in a few days and say, hmm, I wonder how it's doing. It's not going to work. This path is so hardly packed because people are walking around fields, and it is packed super, super hard. And so the seed is sowed in the first type of soil. Satan snatches it away. He says the birds come and take it away. But in the explanation, Satan snatches it away. The soil is hardened. The question we would have is then, what makes a person have a hardened heart? This is something that I think is really, really important because um, a life that's overrun by iniquity, by sin, once we start to go down a path of, of compromise, of sin, it becomes easier to sin again and sin again and sin again. And so Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. You're living in a day and age where there are so many things that are seeking to take your heart, to harden you to the truth of the gospel. When I first came here, Mr. Woods, he talked about constantly, we are in a battle for the hearts and minds of our young people. 
We're in a battle for the hearts and minds of our young people. There's a battle for your mind and for your heart. And what I fear is that oftentimes we simply will let our heart be exposed to the world. We'll let the world expose us, the things we listen to, the things we watch, the places we go. It's a callous heart. It's one that's not sensitive. It doesn't respond to the fear of judgment, and it doesn't respond to the, the, the mercy of grace. Recently, I was in a congregation setting where the gospel was being preached, and I saw a person. And I don't know why this person just caught my eye. I was behind, so I didn't even see facial expressions. But if body language could say anything... <laughs> It sure looked like it was, I can't believe I'm sitting here. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to get up and leave out of respect for the people I'm sitting around. But this is a joke. That's what the body language was telling me. As many people's eyes were just attentive to the speaker, this person was just, when is this thing going to get over? And it really looked as if it was a heart. It was just callous. Pardon. When you think about this parable being given, Jesus is talking about Israel, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. They loved religion. They just didn't love God. They loved having people look on them favorably, the applause of men. But when God in the flesh was right in front of them, they wanted to kill him, and eventually they did they killed inside. So watch over your heart. We do not want a hardened heart. Because even the seed does not penetrate a hardened heart. Second type of soil, the second type of person who hears the word. Stony ground hearers. This is interesting. Because immediately it says they received it with joy. Here's the first description. Immediate. No real weighing of the issues, no really considering my sinfulness, no understanding really of God's holiness. No one really considers the cost. They just, yep, I'll take it. Almost as is the, the quote we talked about with salesmanship. Immediately receive it with joy. As we read this passage, Jesus explains these are temporary converts who selfishly seek personal satisfaction. In our Men of Vision class, we just listened to a sermon called Ten Shekels in a Shirt. And in that, Paris Reedhead talks about how he changed his viewpoint of missions. He gave his life to missions. But one of the things that he said, and I, I agree, he says, Humanism has crept in so subtly into Christianity because humanism says the end of all being, the goal of everything, is the happiness of man. That's priority number one. Happiness of man. This really kind of fits because many people will say, I've tried success, I've tried drugs, I've tried sex, I've tried everything, and you know what? My life just isn't quite fulfilling. I still have problems. Maybe I'll try Jesus. Maybe he'll fix it. And ultimately, they're looking for what they can get out of God. Maybe God will do me good. 
Clear back in 1746, Jonathan Edwards talked about this same thing. This is not a new phenomenon. In 1746, Jonathan Edwards, many would agree, one of the most brilliant theological minds in the history of our country, made the same assessment. He says, fallen man will try fleshly religiosity rather than submit to the lordship of Christ. The stony ground, they endure for a while, then when tribulation, persecution, and affliction comes, they fall away. It's interesting because the persecution that comes, the affliction that comes, it talks about they have no root. And when the sunlight comes down on a plant that has no root, they'll wither and they'll die. It's interesting, in James 1, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because what it does is it proves our faith. That same song we sang to start, Blessed Be the Name, I don't even remember the man's name. I listened to it on the radio as I was driving some years ago. But there was a pastor who preached at his wife's own funeral, and he used that text. And he talked about what a blessing his wife had been, what a great helper, what a great mother, assisting him in his ministry for many, many years. He just talked about blessing upon blessing upon blessing of his wife, who was in a casket next to him. And then he talked about what the Lord has taken her. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, he didn't shake his fist at God. He didn't say, how could a good God do this to me? He simply said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And this trial has made my faith even stronger. So when we're in the lion's den, we don't say, fine thing you've done to me, God. The trial grows our faith. If we have good soil, if we've received the good seed. The third group of hearers, thorny, thorny ground hearers, says they hear the word. And yet, they're double-minded. These are people who would probably say, yep, I believe Jesus is God's son. Yep, I believe he came and died on a cross. Yep, I believe I'm a sinner. They would probably affirm all those things. But what else do they want? They want the world. I want Jesus, and I also want what I want. talks about the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the distractions of this age. This is where you've got to be really reflective. Do we want a little bit of Jesus and a lot of the world? It doesn't work that way. Because those distractions, those concerns, those cares, they will choke out Social media, sports, popularity. It's interesting. I've been here, this is my 11th year. And students come and students go. And there's been times where I felt like we had some students who, who just varied in their uh, maturity. And that's, just, that's how it is as a teacher. You just get different classes that come in and, and, and go. And, and there was a time not all that long ago where it just seemed like we had a group of students who were almost like a caged animal. We have to be at NC. We have to be under this teaching. And we know that we better not rebel or we'll get in trouble. 
but we can't wait to be like the world. We can't wait. That's where our true passion is. We want to walk like them. We want to talk like them. We want to dress like them. We want to be exactly like the world. That's thorny ground. Ultimately, Satan says this. Why was he cast in the heavenly host? He says, I want to be like the most high. He says, I will not submit. I will be sovereign over my own life. I'm going to do what I want to do. My daughters probably are fairly tired of hearing this, but we make so many excuses. Why do teenagers rebel? Oh, well, they're teenagers. That's ridiculous. Please find that in Scripture where it says, well, if you're a teenager, you get the right to rebel. Boys will be boys. That's just locker room talk. No, that's sin. Terrible twos. Oh, man, you got to watch out for that two-year-old. No, you're just going to see the manifestation of a rebellious heart. So we don't have any excuses. We don't have any, um, any cover for our rebellion. Either we are going to obey or we're going to rebel. And the distractions of this age can woo us. It says the deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things, choke the word. James 4.4 4 is fairly clear. He says this. He says, you adulterous people, do you, know not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you don't know what enmity means, it means conflict. Friendship with the world is conflict with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <coughs> Contrast that with authentic Christianity. We go back to Paris Reedhead and say humanism, the end of all being, is the happiness of man. Christianity says the end of all being is the glorification of God. Every day, every hour, that is our goal. We don't do it perfectly, we fail, but that's our mission, that's our passion. Authentic Christianity says to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow with the consuming love of Christ. <coughs> A signpost of God's grace in your life, if he has prepared your soil. A signpost is a holy life and a holy love for God and others. Sounds similar to what Mr. Falk was talking about a while back, doesn't it? A signpost of God preparing the soil in your heart is a life that seeks holiness and a love for God and for others. Lastly, the good soil. The good soil is those who hear and accept the word and bear fruit. It's really quite simple. The soil that has been prepared by God to receive the word, they hear and accept the word, and they bear fruit. The broken and the contrite desire to be delivered from the dominion of the power of sin.